the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN 15 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is working to find over at MMA Junkie as well as LineMovement.com. But on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this just as weigh-ins are concluding. I think still a couple more fighters uh, left to weigh in for UFC, uh, hashtag UFC Vegas 7, UFC on ESPN 15, UFC Munoz versus Edgar. Of course, Bellator 244 goes down tonight. I have main events as for usual, uh, both. Up at MMAJunkie.com. Thank you guys for checking out those, uh, especially the Nemkov-Bader breakdown. Really went balls deep into that one. Since uh, Nemkov is a guy I've been calling a dark horse for the division for over two years now. But uh, didn't end up picking with him, picking him. So I'll briefly give some thoughts on that. Just run through picks because, the, the uh, you know, very quickly and uh, even qu- you know quicker than the uh, UFC fight I'm going to jump to. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what happens when uh, I wait till weigh-in day like this. It was really close to getting it done last night, but both the voices you can hear was even worse, and the facilities of, of being tired. I don't know if I'm going to blame that on the, the, the head trauma and the low uh, activity bar that I just kind of deal with, or um, the fact that your boy just not taking any time off for I don't know how many years now, and it uh, doesn't look like I'm going to be taking any time off this year with this gosh darn schedule. Not complaining, happy to be working, but the body, got to find a balance, man. Got to find a, a, a balance. I was listening to some sweet Rodney Mullen, which I'll probably repost here uh, on the old Twitter, at Dan Tom MMA. And the damn dude, you know, I always loved his skateboarding, but and he's an inspirational speaker and a lot of applicable stuff to life, as well as MMA, which is what we talk about. And uh, the affects of a rigorous schedule and what that does to the creativity. So, saying no more, let's push forward. Uh, you know, I, I already got the recap done, which is nice. That'll save us some time. Thank you guys for joining me for that live recap. UFC 252 on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe if you haven't. I think I've only got like some measly 200 subscribers. Dan, it's because you wait till like the last day to do your breakdowns. Well, all right, just relax. Uh, let me get through my plug. Daniel Tom MMA on YouTube if you want to um, check out any of these videos. This will go up, but this probably won't go up till the morning of the fights. Uh, as far as, because it takes so much time to process, yada, yada, yada. But uh, Dana White Contenders 29 results happen. I'll also save you a recap there, because I recap them every week over at MMA Junkie, grading the winners, um, where I give my unfettered thoughts. So thank you guys very much for checking that out. All right, no further ado, under four minutes, as we are on to uh, Bellator. Um, yeah, so Ryan Bader opened, I think, around a minus 160 or so. And then money came in on Nemkov, and it looked like the line was going to flip. 
Nemkov got as low as a plus 105, but now the line is back to uh, Bader at minus 145, balancing out Nemkov as the underdog, plus 125. Don't hate any shots on Nemkov. Like I said at the top, he's a guy I've been calling as a prospect, you know, for a minute. Um, so I've had my eye on him. Um, if he's able to spark Bader with a counter, right, or... Um, dismantle him with some leg kicks, you know, at least at the tone in the first round after shutting down some shots. None of us should be really that surprised. But Nemkov still has issues with pacing. He's done better with his pacing. But I feel like with guys that make him grapple is problematic, and we saw that with an inconsistent grappler, uh, Phil Davis. Obviously not calling Phil or trying to demean him there. He's my top five mat wrestlers, but... Obviously, what I'm referring to is the fact that he doesn't use it as consistently as he should because he's really freaking good down there. Um, wow, damn, phrasing. Um, but, <laughs> Jesus Christ, sorry, folks. It's, damn, don't save your excuse. Drink your coffee. Get the breakdown done. Um, yeah, no, like, you know, he, he could have he done that more. But by the end, even though I, I had Vadim Nemkov winning, no issue there. But, yeah, that third round is... Went to went to uh, Davis and Davis was on top. Um, and basically, it's what seems to be the thing is that Vadim seems to have a really good first layer defense and he can scramble well too. It's not that he can't scramble well and scrambling should account for a second layer, obviously. But as far as layered takedown defense in the forms of answering layered takedown offense, which is what Ryan Bader brings to the table, you know, I always talk about and highlight his power double which is pretty emphatic, but the guy finishes from a lot of areas. He can chain inside singles. He's actually really good. He'll hit some hip tosses and like some stuff like, you know, that you figure the more Sambo or Judo black belt-based Nemkov would be hitting. Uh, Nemkov can hit those positions too, but he's just more like, you know, he's not doing like Uchimata. He's usually like hoisting off hips, and then he's looking for like outside or inside trips. Um, Nemkov actually likes more, um, I guess, for lack of better phrasing, traditional wrestling shots, Western wrestling shots. Um, but he actually trains with a freestyle res uh, uh, wrestler. Um, look this guy up on Instagram. It's like MM7. And and I had to do a lot of translation. I had to hit up my dude, Ed Gallo. Ed Gallo. Thanks, Ed, from the fight site. But, yeah, he trains with this really good guy who won the uh, Junior World Cup in 2018, Magomed Khan Magomedov. Um... How do we not? How do we do a Magomed Magomed name? How about Magomed Magomedov? No, no, that, the, three of those already exist. You know, Genghis Khan was pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm sure his DNA is over there in the, uh, you know, those caucuses. Why don't we go uh, Magomed Khan Magomedov? Sold. <laughs> guy happens to be a good wrestler, but uh, I'm not going to pretend to be the wrestling expert. But yes, basically, um, the difference between folk style, you know, just very layman's. Uh, terms uh, and, and, and freestyle uh, as it pertains to MMA is that one rewards more on control, whereas other is more as far as scoring uh, points, uh, takedowns, pins, which is freestyle and control being more folk style, which is you know why a lot of um, and I believe Ryan Wagner touched on this much better than I could, um, probably on many things, but when I had him on my on this here program. And, uh, you know, folk style, um, it's not a surprise. They, they, they end up uh, controlling well in their mat wrestling when they want to apply themselves and learn the subsequent 
grappling and jiu-jitsu that goes with MMA, yeah, it does pretty damn well. And Bader does that. Um, in fact, during this pandemic, Bader's been staying in shape. Looks like he's got earned his brown belt under fourth-degree black belt, uh, Yair uh, Lorenko. So, uh, yeah, man, um, kind of hard not to favor Bader if he doesn't get iced. Also, Nemkov, even though he stays busy with his left hand and he throws much straighter punches, again, like he goes against like the Sambo stereotypes. He's not out there like you know doing hip tosses and casting punches and shit. Like keeps a good jab in this and that, but he whether it's his leg kicks, head kicks, or counters with the punches, it's all from the right power side. And I say that because not so much from the power side, but whether it's the power side as of a southpaw or orthodox fighter. If you go back and look at the times that Bader was finished, and really just a lot of the times that he was rocked, it was by left hands. Bader seems to have a good beat, and I talk about this. Some fighters, it's more noticeable. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know why. Um, and I, I can just speculate as to, you know, you're in a street fight. What are you worried about most? Guy is going to throw the right hand. So if we take that really basic, dumb logic and we kind of expound upon it into an MMA fight and we're playing the percentages, yeah, most people at least should be aware of the right hand. You want to hope that the takedown is followed by that, and that's a different story, of course. But... Some guys, back to the original uh, point, if you want to even call it that, just have a better beat on the uh, on one hand than the other. Um, you know, sometimes you know some guys have a good beat on the setup hand, but if you catch them and go rogue with an uppercut, and you can catch them dipping into that shit, uh, that's probably more on advanced levels. But from a basic level, yeah, man, uh, shouldn't be too surprised when a guy like Bader has a good beat on a right hand. Does that mean that he can't get caught by Nemkov? Of course not. You know. He's not elder. He's 37, which is an elder for light heavyweight, much less heavyweight. I know this is a light heavyweight fight. I'm just saying for Bader's career. But Nemkov has a clear speed advantage. So, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised from that aspect, but there was just a lot of reasons that had me clicking with Bader. I think he gets it done actually by by a stoppage fourth round just because Nemkov go gas and have to give something even though he's a tough bastard. <clears throat> Good luck if you played Nemkov. Uh, but uh, if that Bader line goes down, I may have to hit. I may hit regardless. Uh, taking Julia Budd over Jesse Maley. Uh, taking Valentin Moldovsky over Roy Nelson. Sorry, Big Roy. Taking Salted Dog, John Salter, over Andrew Capel. Although, interesting sample size for Capel when you really dig into there. It's the guy that uh, recently, uh, I guess you could say, retired King Mo. Shouts to Mo. I love Mo, by the way. Um. Goyito Perez, minus 145, Josh Hill, plus 105. I actually don't disagree with that line, and I really like that matchup. Josh Hill, um, most people might recognize him from challenging for uh, Marlon Moraes' uh, bantamweight WSOF title. Um, don't necessarily hate the line between Adam Piccolotti and Sidney Outlaw, though I want to say Outlaw is an, a live dog, although my pick would reluctantly be Piccolotti, especially now seeing the line inflate. Maybe there's some value on Outlaw there, huh? Um, Will Smith's on the card. This is my... This guy... Damn it. See, this is my... Remind me to tweet this later. Will Smith tweet. Um, this is my uh, Will Smith. <coughs> I've said this before, folks. Like, this is my Bellator theory. Like, not only did they do the thing like, oh, they'll... they'll oh, they're going to sign UFC washouts. Or, like, they'll be like, oh, they're going to... Hobson Gracie, like they're gonna give every Gracie a fucking fight, you know, even the Gracie that doesn't do jujitsu. Like, all those things are fair. 
criticisms. And I got love for Bellator. You guys know I do. Um, and all those things are fair criticisms. But even beyond that, my criticism slash not even criticism, it's just a funny note really is what it is. It's like, this is perfect. Like you can have a name that sounds like someone famous, whether it's a fighter or not, like Will Smith. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you could have like, your name could be Reed J. Penn and they're going to give you a name. Just be, You could be Owen Seven, but your name sounds like BJ Penn, so you're going to get a fight. Like, I doubt he listens to this podcast, but he does follow me on Instagram. So Rich Chu uh, will probably have to see the tweet. And, and, and uh, I wonder if he'll answer that question. Why is there name bias? Is there celebrity name bias going on? In Bellator bookings, like, it doesn't matter what record you have. Maybe you have no record at all. But if your name sounds like, you know, if you're Bonflaude fan fan, like, they're, oh, we're going to give you a fight, you know? Or that was a really poor example. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, nothing much. Oh, Hamasoff got buried on there, but I don't know. We're, I don't know if it's contract time because we're. I don't know how close we are to the end of the year, but yeah, that's the Bellator card. <laughs> All right, gonna timestamp that. Thirteen minutes. Let's jump over to UFC on ESPN 15. Headline by Pedro Munoz minus 265. Uh, excuse me, Frank, Frankie, Frankie Four Fingers, Frankie Edgar is your underdog plus 225, making the bantamweight drop. At 38, going to be 39 in under two months, which I don't like. Especially at Bantamweight, we see these guys aged out. Uh, losing to guys they shouldn't be losing to. And um, even if Frankie Edgar is in his prime, I don't think Pedro Munoz fits that bill. I still think he fits the bill of a bad matchup stylistically from a stylistic standpoint. But yes, you add in the speed, the fact that with age, Edgar in the last five years has been able to get to and keep control positions lesser and lesser, unless he's fighting Yair Rodriguez, and he's been getting hurt more and more, um, which has never been abnormal for an Edgar fight, but we always wondered when the bottom was going to drop out. Well, perhaps his cardio hasn't dropped out, perhaps it won't drop out with the weight cut even. But I don't know if we're going to get to see the fight go that far, and I don't know if the cardio is going to matter because you can still be hurt to the body, especially when you're actually cutting weight. Now that Frank Edgar is actually cutting the weight for the first time in his career, but he's doing it at an advanced age when durability is already a question mark. You know what I always say? Fighters that go to the body can be the worst when you're cutting that weight. Bad weight cuts, big weight cuts, first-time weight cuts. Body punchers is a flag for me. And... Munoz doesn't exactly body punch, but he's got those brutal body teeps. You know that he's able to hurt guys to the body that were much more longer or elusive and even fights that he lost to, like you know, against Aljamain Sterling. Um, Munoz has that. Uh, he also has decent wrestling. He doesn't, got, he doesn't sell out for that guillotine. He actually knows when to sell out for it, when to sweep with it. And when to defend takedowns is, I believe, his takedown defense rating is like in the 80 percentile. It's really, really high. And he's got really underrated wrestling and scrambling takedowns himself to boot. Um, does a lot of his work off the front headlock takedown-wise. Not just his guillotine, like back takes and takedowns. He actually works really well. So that's kind of the double-edged sword there is not just the guillotine, um, but why that the level-changing threat which is kind of the saving, not just a, an arguable glue, but now a saving grace to Edgar's game when you look at the durability, his ability to, to change the level 
or at the very least have that threat. And if Munoz, with his built-in defense for it, isn't worried about it and knows that he offers much war- much more to worry about, then that's bad news. Looking even further into it, um, you know, when I went to watch the Johns, I'm glad I went to, you know, we all remember it as a beating. Why go back and watch it? Well, this is why Dan Tom goes back and still does his stupid thing where he watches all their fights, for the, at least for the main events now, not for all the fights. But, um, you know, Munoz gives off a tale that DC smartly picks up on him. I know DC hates when people say this, but this is why people. some people say he's a better commentator than a fighter. Um, I'm not making that statement or dying on that hill. But I understand that sentiment when you see you know him pick up on stuff so well. And um, you see John shoot with his head to the left or to the right, which is to Munoz's left side. And Munoz catches a guillotine, and he actually gets under the neck, but he gives it up. And he gives it up to change grip. But in that process of changing grip, Johns, who's a savvy grappler, is able to get out. And DC smartly cites that the reason why Johns was able to get out is because Munoz went to change his grip. He didn't like the side that he caught. He actually caught the guillotine. But even with the caught guillotine, he's like, no, I'm going to take that risk because he really is dominant to his side. We all kind of are if you really pay attention to jiu-jitsu, whether it's the way we attack our legs, but especially... You know, the sides we go for a Kimura on, or Kimura, uh, Kimura, as uh, Big John likes to say. But, uh, you know, like we all kind of have those sides, and um, especially when it comes to arms, right? That's where the dominant sides really start to shine through with writing and the proverbial systems we're put through, right? So Munoz, very right-hand dominant and a right-hand fighter, so that should be no surprise so I went and looked at when Ed, where Edgar was shooting, and unfortunately I went to look at early Edgar, mid-career Edgar, recent career Edgar, as well as Edgar specifically against, which surprisingly very little guys with good headlock threats, but I went to watch you know the Ortega fight, uh, the Charles Oliveira fight, and Edgar always finishes with his head to the right side. And... I, I, I didn't think that was the case because I have always have those like, you know, where he does the level changing jab to a hand post to the chest and he goes to pick an ankle or knee and drive through and that's on the opponent's weak side. He will kind of go for those, but he's relegated those to just kind of faint looks as you see, like I believe in the second Cup Swanson fight. And more so when he does get a good snatch off of those outside, head outside or weak side entrance um, singles, snatch singles, ankle pick, any kind of these variations. He's always chaining and finishing. Like he, you know, and you look at the cauliflower tells the story. He's got it on both ears, but more so on his on his right ear because he's always putting his head to his opponent's right side um, to finish his takedowns. Um, and that's where a lot of guys get cauliflower ear, folks. It's from oftentimes from steering, steering. And Edgar likes to steer from that side. That's problematic. Um, so he's either going to have to change something that's super built in, because Edgar and his camp, Mark Henry, i got to imagine they're smart enough to pick up on that. Or they just risk shelving one of their you know strongest parts of their game. Again, the arguable glue. I don't like that. Um, and if that means that Pedro Munoz doesn't just get to unload in body kicks, now he gets to unload with uh, leg kicks. Um you know, that could be problematic when, when guys offer that second layer of with their leg kicks. You know, go see Jose Aldo fights with Edgar. 
So I'm going to take Munoz. Um, my betting article came out. It took him inside the distance. I didn't get him at plus money. Grats if you did. Um, I got him at minus 125, but I put in the article that I presume that, that I predicted that the, the, was going to inflate. The article dropped yesterday, and so sure enough, today it's like up to minus 155 for inside the distance. Now you're just playing a lot of chalk, which is definitely not sexy. Not that what I played was sexy by any means, um, which is why I attached another prop I'll get to in a second. But I, again, I, the, 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 the prop angles were pretty thorough. He's thorough. Sorry, big Lebowski quote there. Um, but I predicted that, so I also offered the under 3.5 now. You know, the good selling point about the under is it offers you coverage if Edgar gets the finish. But the problem is, even if Edgar wins, like, it's going to be by decision, right? Or by super late. Like, I don't think Edgar wins that under. So you're not necessarily getting your coverage there, but I included it because of the line value. That line still held at the minus 125, which is, I feel, a much more negotiable and um, defensible entry point if you're going to be playing some chalk prop here. But... It's it's just a bad matchup. It's style. It's two uh, with two products that we can actually do some math on, unlike the rest of this card, which is super low level. No offense. So, like I said, my betting article, I targeted the proven, the more proven products. Excuse me, little pep. Hey, the more proven products. Um, and for the plus money prop, again, as I detailed with the. Um, where Frank Yeager puts his head, I think that even regardless whether he shelves it or has a game plan, if he gets tagged, which I think he will, he'll go on autopilot, and I think he's set up to fall hard for his first submission loss. Um, you'd like to see a bigger number for plus 500 for a guy with such a long career to get submitted for the first time, who's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt himself, Edgar, but plus 500 is enough for me. I took a quarter unit shot. Next fight, Alonzo Menafield, minus 125 versus Ovin St. Poo Poo. St. Pru, plus 105. Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. I always think of that one. <laughs> Ovin St. Pru. I put in my notes OSP dance um, with the mask. Oh, I love because OSP is like him and Hannon Burrell have the, you know, everyone picking on poor Valerie Lareda, as I say poor Valerie Lareda. Um, everyone picking on that girl for her dance, but, like, the ugliest dances in MMA are owned by, like, if you're going to make fun of Valerie Lareda, you better be making fun of OSP and Hannon Burrell. With Hannon Burrell's little disco dance, and, um... <laughs> remember when he used to random note? I, don't ask me why I'm bringing this up, or focused, or remember noticed this remember, i wonder if it's part of the reason why they went to the reebok sponsorship in 2015 because like remember in like 2013 2014 like every time hen and brow hit the scales like not only did he look dead because he was just making those ill-advised weight cuts <laughs> um but like he always had the same pair of i don't know if it was like his lucky lucky draws but like he had those same pair of dirty boxers and it was just they were just not nice they were not flattering um, they were very worn, so they left nothing to the imagination. I, I, and I just, I, I got to imagine that had to be a, a part of the percentage pie of why, why, why UFC switched to. Well, we can't have fighters like wearing their dirty drawers up. <laughs> this is this is embarrassing. This guy looks like he's gonna die. <laughs> Jesus, Dan, how'd I get up on that? But yeah, um, you know. But even with the bad weight cuts, you know, when he would win, he would do his disco dance thing. And, you know, St. Pru, who, you know, shout-outs to MMA Junkie John and the MMA Roadshow, was saying he did some of his media from inside of his room, so maybe there was a COVID scare. And so I was nervous, you know, since uh, I have a bet on him here. 
showing my hand, I guess, even though my article dropped yesterday. But um, yeah, I was like, oh crap, he's going to show up. And sure enough, OSP shows up, mask and all. And even with the mask, you can't see him do the, the tongue portion of his like, I think it's from his sorority thing that he has like branded on his arms, which is pretty crazy. But he does like the snake thing with his with his hands. That since it's audio podcast, I'll describe the visual that I get from it, which is you guys remember dodgeball when they like barge into the restaurant or they enter the uh, Ben Siller's team, the Cobras or whatever, and they do <laughs> like their, their little dance. Like it's kind of like that, but it's more slower and uglier and awkward with his with his tongue out. Um, OSP and it's just great. He always does the the the, the OSP dance. So if things go well, I will do as much as I make fun of it. I will, I will do the OSP dance um, if he scores because OSP opened um, as I think a minus one sixty favorite, and I had a line to uh, minus one fifty. So it wasn't too far off from where I had it lined, and I don't blame people for taking shots on Menafield for the subsequent plus one twenty five uh, flip number that he opened at. Um, OSP is not a guy to be trusted at chalk. Excuse me. But you're going to give me dog money for, you know, not to use poor man's analysis, but for a guy that lacks process, which is why he's always dangerous to bet at chalk, but he is a potent finisher and an athlete to make up for it. And again, um, like Ryan Bader, he's only 37. You know, that's not elder for this, for, for even light heavyweight, much less an athlete like OSP. And uh, but not to use poor man's analysis like I, I preluded to earlier, but yeah, he can finish the fight in more ways. He can get the check hook random knockout, uh, even though I don't count on that against Menafield. He can, although Menafield will throw his right, and that check left is the money shot right. Phrasing, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, he could do get a takedown, do a shoulder choke on Alonzo Menafield's huge shoulders and traps and like all that stuff's going to make for a much faster head and arm choke at heavyweight folks. I've talked about this before. Um, and then on a decision, uh, he's not a guy that is a decision machine, but yeah, he, uh, he's been to and can actually go decision and win them. Uh, supposed to men a field who hasn't has a small and, and limited sample size outside the first round. That doesn't look great. So, yeah, it was a it was a play on OSP for me, and that Ben Rothwell fight also wasn't as wasn't as bad as I remembered. Again, this is heavyweight and Ben Rothwell standards, but Ben Rothwell put a higher pace than uh, Alonzo Menafield will be putting on him, and Open Saint Prue did better than I remembered in the thought in the sense that he was able to to hold up to the pace and hurt and drop Ben multiple times. You know, even if you can say that some of it was off balancing. Still. Um, so, yeah, and you didn't blow up past the 240 mark. Remember what I said? If the light heavyweight co uh, coming up to heavyweight, if they go past 240, it's dangerous. <laughs> when they're right on that 240 mark, boy, it's hard to tell. And um, he didn't look blown up, and he looks uh, pretty good on the scale for OSP. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that was a play. I got him at plus 115. It got that high. Maybe it got higher. But uh, plus one, you can still get him at plus uh, 105 as of this time. Uh, Mike Rodriguez, minus 230. Marcin Prakniao, who um, plus 190. Who uh, Prakniao may be possibly on Team Spectrum, folks. 
Uh, again, I, I got love for, believe me, <laughs> got more love than you know for the team spectrum and the karate guys, like the Prakniao. I'm not trying to hate, but, uh, like, <laughs> I'm going to pull up his bio here because this is, I think this is, this will add. This, this is pretty funny. Um, but basically, not it's hard to tell, you know, does, has he made improvements? It's been two years since we saw him, but, like, he's coming off two knockout losses. And it wasn't against the higher-level guys that he fought, although that theme runs true because if you, like, go back deeper in his career, I'm pretty sure he's got a TKO loss to Alexander Rakich, who is orthodox but will switch to southpaw. Point is, last two losses were against southpaws, and he's getting another southpaw, Mike Rodriguez, who can be knocked out himself but is a fully-fledged southpaw. May have the ground advantage, albeit not wrestling or power, but uh, for submissions. Um, if he's been continuing to work that part of his game with Lozon MMA, who's in his corner and all up in the social feeds consistently. So uh, Rodriguez, who is a gamer, both literally and uh, figuratively, I'm going to take him here. I just don't like that line. I do not like that line. Um, against an athlete, we don't know what the fuck Prakniao's going to do, man. I mean, like, here's, like, he looks like a program, like, he or acts like a program orc who just, you know, runs into the wall over and over again, you know? Um, or, or like the, uh, you know, what do you call the, um, what was that? Speaking of Will Smith from Bellator, I am legend, like those monsters that just keep running into the glass thing. Like, that's Prakniao in the Sam Alvey fight. Um, <laughs> and he just, this guy just really just... This guy's special. Um, let me see. Okay. Uh, when and why did you start training fighting, Marcin Prakniao? I started with karate when I was just 12 years old. Fighting was in my blood. I kept asking parents to send me to karate class. It took me three years for them to approve it. Once I started, I wanted to be the best. I love challenges. I became a multiple-time Polish champion in full Kiyoshkin Kai Karate and placed second at the European. After 450 karate fights, I thought it was time for another challenge. Five and a half years ago, I started with MMA. I really love it, as it is very versatile. Now. I not only need to practice my striking, but also incorporate wrestling and ground fighting. It really is ultimate martial art. Okay, creepy accent aside, I read that word for word with pauses for the periods and all the punctuation. I did not change any of that. Team Spectrum. All right, I'm taking... <laughs> Jesus, damn. That just killed my voice for the rest of the show. I'm telling you, folks, I'm not kidding when I'm crawling past the finish line every week. To try to get you this i just i gotta get what what pays the bills first and unfortunately this podcast uh this podcast doesn't because it's free and i'm a bad businessman but thank you guys i've been seeing more apple podcasts and review ratings even though i complain about my measly youtube subscriber and follower count it has been going up so thank you guys i really appreciate it. there are people listening i am gonna keep this free don't worry i just gotta get better at getting it out so if you want to help me I will try to share your tweets at the PYM podcast at Dan Tom MMA. MixedMarshallAnalyst.com as I brutally insert plugs in the middle of the show here. Um, 
that supports the show, you guys can go there for click-throughs for on it and Amazon. No cost to you. Sends a small percentage back to us. And there's a PayPal link in there, too, if you want to just give a straight-up donation with a message. Um, you guys know that's always appreciated. None of it is necessary, though. This The show remains the same and weird as it always is. Next fight, Maria Agapova. It was taking Mike Rodriguez there, by the way. Buyer beware. Maria Agapova at a reasonable minus 13.75, even though she recently lost to Tracy Cortez on Contender Series. No diss on Tracy Cortez, just saying. Versus Jana Dobson, plus 1,900. Like Shayna, but I, I, you know, she's she's been you know coming in in better shape, making clear efforts, man. But it's a bad matchup, man. Unless you got wrestling, um, Agapova is going to be um, hard to control. And if she's improving her ground game, uh, like her little you know Cole Miller style you know back snatch, wow, relevant reference, Dan Cole Miller, Efrain Escudero. Um, yeah, you know. I'll take uh, Agapova to roll. Not much to say. Not much to play at those prices. Daniel Rodriguez minus one ninety had trouble finding that Gabe Green fight. Um, didn't look too hard though. I'm sure I could. I just I refuse to use the ESPN Plus subscription because I hate their search engine. I know, I know. You go to their record, and you know that's the faster seven click way because everything's seven fucking clicks. Remember back in the day when UFC.com you just went to it and it showed the fucking matchups um, right in the home screen with the time, with the broadcast, like everything was answered within one fucking graphic. And now you literally have to take five fucking clicks. It, we're goddamn ridiculous. Um, you don't even get the same profile. Anyways, I don't know what those fuck sites are doing. Dan, this is not why we tuned in. Um, we didn't tune in for uh, the Dan Tom is an old man who can't use the internet podcast. This is the Taking Egg podcast. Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod, which sounds like a name for his dick if we're being honest. Minus 190. I wonder if he's an MMA analysis favorite for that reason. Takashi Sato plus 165. You know I love my Southpaw Sato. You know I love my Japanese fighters. But um, I'll go with a favorite here. I would like to play him, but I can't tell you that's going to happen. They, these guys have both come off of uh, Southpaw victories, I believe. Um, means for, I don't know about, well, not coming off, but have beaten notable Southpaws because you know, he beat Means. Um, D-Rod, I cannot call him D-Rod now that I've made that comment. Rodriguez, uh, whereas Sato has beaten, I don't know, Jason Witt if he was a southpaw. But Ben Saunders, but yeah, Ben Saunders, um, you know, temper, temper. But um, I will I will take Rodriguez. I'm excited to see this fight. It's one of the few fights that get me excited. Mizuki Inoue, I will... Back Japan here, albeit not confidently. Minus 125 versus Amanda Lemos. Plus 105. Dropping two weight classes is the big flag for me for Lemos. And female fight, tough to call. Um, unless Lemos can really, you know, secure uh, some dominant positions. Um, which can be harder than it seems on a scrappy in a way. Uh, I'll go with Inoue's volume and scrappiness. But it's uh, not a researched pick. Or confident pick for that reason, folks. So temper, temper, temper. I'll take in away. Good luck if you're taking the dog shot. I mean, but uh, yeah, I'll take in away. Um, this fight, I was waiting to do. Re I actually went and researched. Uh, I wanted to research before I got on here. 
Still no play yet, although the line movement is moving that way. We got Austin Hubbard and Joe Selecki tied minus 110. First, I thought, you know, there was just disrespect coming in on Hubbard, and apparently the public thought the same as money is coming in on him. I mean, you feel bad for the guy, and also got to, whether you root for him because you feel bad for him or just are trying to be objective, you got to think that he's just getting this, like, grappler's row over here, like, between him and Armand Saryukian, and at least Armand at least has incredible wrestling. Um, Hubbard, who does have a wrestling base, will give takedowns as more of a get-up guy. You know, yeah, he gave up eight takedowns, but he got up eight times too. Um, although he was saved by the judge ref for stand-ups with the Davi Hamosh fight, um, which is why I'm taking Selecki here. I believe that Selecki will be more dedicated than Hamosh was in that fight to the takedowns. Hamosh only went for late round, which is, you can accredit that to why he didn't finish or other theories. Um, but my co-host Dan, which I don't disagree with, said, you know, that seemed like a fight where maybe Hamosh felt like he could test his stand-up. I don't necessarily disagree with that theory either. Um, and Selecki, but Selecki, whether he can finish or not, has got better control position um, than uh, Marco Madsen. Water, please, water. Um... I'm going to have some water, actually. I'm going to Marco you guys for a second. Water, please. Um, you know, and just Selecki just seems like a really smart guy, you know. He's really impressed with his interviews. Really impressed with his composure. I don't know what the heck Matt Wyman was on or what's wrong with that guy. Hopefully nothing too mental. And I'm not saying that disparagingly. Actually, I mean that genuinely. Hope he's all right. So that was a really weird altercation they had at the end, but I did like that Selecki was composed. I like Selecki's interviews heading into that, which I wanted to give a shout-out to John Hyun Ko. Great interview with him. Great interviews in general. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dan, you wonder why your podcasts and channels don't grow because you're too busy shouting other people out. <laughs> but this guy deserves it, man. And... Uh, He's got a decent follower count, but he deserves a lot more. So follow him. John, as it's spelled, Hyun, H-Y-O-N, Ko, K-O. My Korean brother over there. Um, to do just good, excellent work, excellent interviews, and you really, really, really should check him out. Um, Twitter and YouTube. Okay, um, enough plugging other people, Dan. Relax. But yeah, um, so I'm going to take Selecki there. Uh, Selecki, um, he knows it's going to be a hard fight. He knew what the Wyman fight is with this one. So um, unless he gasses out anyways, you know, I don't trust Hubbard to capitalize even then after what I saw when I went back to watch the third round of um, the Marco Madsen fight. So if this line keeps moving, and although 110 is actually a justified shot on, on I still say Selecki, I think plus money, you, you got to justify the shot on Hubbard. But even two plus money justifies it for Selecki. Personally, I'm going to wait to see if it goes to plus money before I pull the trigger, but good luck to you. My pick is Selecki by decision. Dwight Grant minus 370. Can't, I, I don't know why I want to say this guy's name like he's English, but Callenbone. Plus 310. Callenbone, eh? Um, <laughs> I posted about this Sunday. Lord Honky Humongous, shout out to that guy. I was like, Callenborn is a black belt in Kung Fu. Um, and I was like, well, he outranks Dwight Grant's red belt in Kung Fu. 
But Dwight Grant also, according to his profile, is an edged weapon specialist. You know, whatever that means. I don't know. They got to check Dwight Grant like one of the convicts from Con Air when he goes into the ring, man. Um, I guess I'm going to pick Grant, but part of me wants to put a few bucks as I'll be rooting for a Callan Bourne because Benny Abs, friend of the podcast, and he's got his own podcast as well. He does his own work. Um, you should just follow him at Benjamin Abrigo. Uh, Benny Abs, um, I inter- interact and probably retweet him a lot on Twitter as well. Um, good follow, good dude all around. I think he just got his brown belt, Benny. Benny just got his brown belt, Benny. Um, you know, he, he works as a Muay Thai, and uh, he's going to be in his corner. Callenborn looks like, I think he has a wrestling background as well. Can hit hard. Um, so, yeah, man, we'll see. Should be a fun S show. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for Bourne. Uh, it's on the avoid list, obviously, for, for all those reasons. Also on the avoid list, listed as a heavyweight fight, but it's actually a light heavyweight. Jordan Wright, minus 125. I don't know if he, the line movement um, rubber banded or he opened as the dog, but I, I feel like there was some movement on this fight. And it's actually at light heavyweight. Jordan Wright, I believe a middleweight, came in at his walking weight, I'm guessing, or walking slash training weight. Because he only tipped the scales at 200. I didn't see Villain away of his shape, but he did make 205.5. This is a guy that was at middleweight, but perhaps, you know, whether it was the last minute shot to get in the UFC. And the fact that the dude walks around heavy and is now 36 years old after a long regional career. Villain is a, you know, a, my man Vic Rodriguez says a big chungus kind of heavyweight. Um, so it'd be interesting. I, I got to go see what he looked like on the scale, I, and I would hope you would do too if you're going to put a play on Ike Villanueva for the experience. But I'll go with um, what looks like an opportunistic Jordan Wright, who also may be a low-key member of Team Spectrum. But then again, that's only going off these Lord Honky Humongous clips. Who you know, <laughs> I love you, but Honky, Mister Honky. But uh, that's uh, you know. <laughs> I don't want to judge the poor guy off of those clips, even if they're they're not exactly out of context, because you know something does seem weird about the kid. But he uh, seems like a savant, if you will. So um, you know, there's some people that say he's legit talented. So uh, I'll roll with uh, Jordan Wright to find the opportunistic finish. The Beverly Hills Ninja. Not playing it though, especially while he's chalk. Um, also on the avoid list because I I know nothing about these guys. Uh, Carlton Minas, minus 120 versus uh, Matthew uh, Semmelsberger, um, which makes me kind of want to root for him for his name. Uh, I can imagine the kids probably, you know, how would you make fun of that name? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. Oh, yeah, I know how. I don't want it. It's all going to be really gross sexual humor. Yeah, we don't need any... Um, uh, yeah. Jesus, you're making fun of the guy's name. You should probably pick him now. Yeah, yeah, I'll save you guys the ejaculation humor. I will take Matthew Semmelsberger <laughs> over Carlton Menace. Uh, off absolutely no research on the avoid list. Do not listen to me on that fight. Um, oh, Jesus, damn. What kind of a breakdown show is this? Timor Valley of minus 450. Trevin Jones plus 330. Um, yeah, man. I mean... 
props on Trevin Jones for getting in last minute, but not impressive from what I see. Um, Timor Valiev should roll. Maybe he actually gets a finish here, but uh, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take old Timor Valiev. All right, 45 minutes, probably even longer than I wanted to go. All right, recap: taking um, Bader over Nemkov, taking Bud over Mealy, taking Moldovsky over Nelson, taking Salter over Capel, taking Goito Perez over Hill, taking Piccolati over Outlaw. Though Outlaw is a live dog. Shouts to Will Smith. Won't say the rest of Bellator. UFC, what you're here for, probably uh, taking Munoz over Edgar, taking Saint Pru Tennessee over Metafield, taking. Rodriguez over Prachniao. Taking, <laughs> Jesus, sorry about that reading. Taking Agapova over Dobson. Taking D-Rod. No, I'm not taking D-Rod. I'm, I am picking Daniel Rodriguez. <laughs> Jesus, Dan. <laughs> over Sato. Jesus Christ. Taking it away. <laughs> over Lemos. Not confident. Good luck if you're... Taking a shot on the dog that's dropping two weight classes. Taking Selecki over Hubbard. We'll see if I play him if he goes to dog money. Um, I guess I'm taking Grant, but rooting for Cannonbone. Uh, Void. Taking right over Villanueva. Taking Siemensberger over Minus. Taking Jesus, Dan. Taking Valiev over Jones. Um, no parlay that I can give you with a straight face. OSP plus 115, even though he's plus 105 now. I played him at one unit. Uh, Munoz inside the distance, minus 125. Under is still at minus 125 if you're looking to play some chalky prop. Under 3.5, minus one unit for that fight. Uh, sprinkled a quarter unit on Munoz by sub by plus 500. Avoid minus Schemmelsberger. Grant. And right, Villanueva. Thank you, guys. MixedMartialAnalyst.com to support this free podcast that I've been bringing to you for, I don't know, four years. But Mixed Martial Analyst, which hosts this, about to hit our five-year anniversary, folks. Going to tweet that this week. Uh, if you want to support, uh, give some love over MixedMartialAnalyst.com. On it, Amazon, click-throughs, PayPal. But the best thing you can do, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube Daniel Tom, and, may, and just share by word of mouth. There's this weird dude who breaks down fights. Give it a listen. Thank you, guys. Good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect your necks.